committed to full awakening. And before, uh, if I may uh, begin, I would just like to uh, put out um, a little uh, advertisement, and most things, as we know, have to have advertising in it, and so keeping in the spirit of our culture. Um, this afternoon, I went to um, uh, Wisdom Publications. This is the Buddhist publishers who are in uh, Somerville, and do uh, a wonderful Dharma service for each and every one of us in terms of the uh, breadth and the depth of uh, Dharma Buddhist uh, literature which they put out. And later uh, in the summer, about the end of the summer or early autumn period, they're putting out uh, a book from what is called in the uh, Buddhist uh, tradition the Nikayas. And this is the uh, collected uh, discourses of the Buddha which that uh, eminent uh, American Buddhist monk uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi has painstakingly translated in, in recent years. And it's a formidable undertaking with uh, 2,080 pages. Some of you will be familiar with the middle-length discourses of the Buddha, which um, Larry Rosenberg has uh, used extensively over the years, written a book on mindfulness of breathing inspired by one discourse. And the long length, uh, the point that I'm coming to with all of this, it's a huge financial uh, undertaking. So the thought occurred to me when after uh, talking with uh, Tim O'Neill and some of the staff over, over there, that these particular books in the Buddhist tradition are those that are most closely related to the insight meditation tradition and Dharma practice, which you and I or many of us in here are quite familiar uh, with. And as I just walked through the car park, uh, through the back entrance here, I saw all these rather um, nice cars around. <laughs> so um, uh, because of the huge financial undertaking of uh, wisdom publications, um, they are very grateful for your donation of your car towards <laughs> the <laughs> publication. You would have seen the sign there as you... Uh, there. But seriously, if uh, in any way that uh, some of you who are of uh, better means, and I know some people uh, are, and this beautiful manifestation of this uh, facility is one expression of that, I think it would really would be a really worthwhile uh, project to cover. Th there are tens and tens of thousands of dollars, I think $75,000, $100,000 is putting these books out with the 2,000 uh, pages. And it's a struggle for them, and we are the great beneficiaries of uh, all, all of this. So uh, pl please give a little thought to it. I know there was a little blip on your stock exchange last Friday, and we all wept over that, <laughs> but uh, it, things change. <laughs> All right, <yeah>. advertising <laughs> is over. <laughs> have I got and I've got two minutes left. <laughs> All right, on the, on the theme for the evening. Um, um, it is an unmistakable uh, feature in Dharma teachings and Dharma, uh, Dharma practices that, as the Buddha said, let us never in life be ever satisfied with anything less than the best. And that thread and that theme and that message and that communication to each and every one of us is something with which is persistent. And the persistency of it is as a reminder to us to come to a genuinely full awakened life. Sometimes people get the view, and this is also adopted, unfortunately, in some of the more uh, conservative things and uh, traditional uh, circles, uh, that if one's really committed, then that would 
unfold and manifest itself as taking uh, full ordination as a monk and nun, as, as going to the monastery, etc. And that may have been appropriate at some time in the past history, I would say, simply because of the rather enclosed and somewhat restrictive family system that was operating uh, in the uh, East. And it provided um, men and women, young men and women in this case, to have chance to break out of those restrictions and all the demands that were placed upon them to follow in their parents' footsteps, uh, the uh, enclosed caste system of India, etc., etc. But men and women of recent generations have worked and struggled very hard to find greater freedoms uh, in life, and you and I are some of the beneficiaries of those kind of social freedoms. So I don't think it's absolutely necessary, or necessary at all, in fact, to adopt the way uh, uh, of life in which one uh, shaves one's head and puts on brown curtains and, and uh, goes off to Thailand or Burma or, or somewhere. But I think the opportunity for a genuinely full, clear and awakened life is truly available in the midst of uh, anywhere, including Cambridge, believe it or not. And so if one says there is that potential and there is that possibility uh, for us, it will mean shifts and sometimes fundamental shifts in our life and our priorities and sometimes minor ones. And it is important that we look at and keep our minds open to fundamental shifts and to minor ones. Fundam fundamental uh, uh, shifts is, what, mi what might one say from a Dharma standpoint is a statement of an or an expression of an unawakened life, an unenlightened way of existence? And this can manifest in uh, our life in a variety of, of ways. And one, of the, and one of those ways is being a prisoner, and, it's, and it is an imprisonment, being a prisoner to the mind. There's no better indicator of it than being really trapped in the field of the mind. And the way that that can show itself in our life is through what's the movement that's going on in the mind, and much of the unsatisfactory movements of the mind is, has as a kind of centrifugal force, you could say, running through it, is the force of desire. Never to underestimate the potency of that force of desire, the consequences of it in our inner life, the anguish and pain, fear and aggression that it can generate from us, and the consequences and the effects of it outwardly as well. And when we are as it were, completely identified with it, we find ourselves constantly justifying and supporting it and believing in it with all the conceit and arrogance as human beings we can have. That is an unenlightened way of life. Stuck with the mind, stuck with the force of desire, an unquestioning examination uh, uh, of it and all the painfulness that goes with it. I was just a few days ago I've done a little bit more travelling than usual and um, in the last uh, six weeks I've been in four continents so as you can imagine there's some travelling and I was just uh, a few days ago in New Zealand and one of the teachers there, Jeremy, Jeremy uh, Logan, one of the new Dharma uh, teachers part of the work that he does is wor working in the area of violence and with men, domestic violence, men primarily inflicting pain uh, on their uh, partners. And he said one of the features of this, and I know some of you here will be familiar, will work in this field, will be familiar with it, is 
that it's not only what fuels it, which is the force of desire, of course, sometimes aggravated and frequently by uh, uh, alcohol, which is a great curse of our culture. And sometimes there is a reaction that takes place, this view, the view and opinion, the force of desire, sometimes alcohol mobilizing it all, and it, it inflicts itself. And he says, in meeting with some of those men, their response, as to why it happened and why did he do it, the first response is frequently, she deserved it. That's a response that comes out. There isn't an ability to bring any wise attention to the moment to be able to reflect back and to see what actually was taking place from within. And as Jeremy said to me, in walking down the street with one of the men, there was a, a person with their dog passing by and the person, uh, passerby on the pavement, just took a kick at the dog. And Jeremy said, well, why do you do that? He said, I thought it was going to get in my way. So that movement is force of desire, latent with aggression, all the past factors, of course, uh, uh, etc., and its painful manifestation uh, outwardly. So the moment that you and I have the capacity to interrupt that reaction that takes place, to stop for a moment or two and see where is this coming from, what's going on with me, that's the first step to uh, an awakened life. It's the capacity of women and men to, to stop and to see well, what's going on from the inner that makes its outer expression and the way that it shows itself. I gave a more extreme example, but nevertheless there are plenty in the rhythm of our daily life which also reflect that. So the, the Buddha has put very wisely, I think, and, and skillfully, a tremendous emphasis with us on the importance of awareness, the, Im the importance of being still, and the, the, and the importance of being able to look back what's going on out of the mind, not my mind, or the whatever, out of the mind, you might say, and how that shows itself. It's the first step. It's a small step, but it's an extraordinarily significant step for uh, us to be able to do that and see the incredible significance of it. And part of the reason, amongst many, for the incredible significance of it is that by engaging uh, uh, in that, we are reminding ourselves, we, you and I, look, we've only got one instrument for being in touch with this world, and that's the mind. Mind, I'm calling feelings, emotions, thoughts, perceptions, states of mind, inner life. That's the only way we can know this world. And that's through that we look at it. And if, this is, and if the inner life is in a difficult condition for all the reasons that it can get in, it makes life and what's going on around us equally because it's the means by which we look. So when it comes to the question, am I really committed? It's a deep and an important question for any caring and thoughtful human being. Am I really, am I really committed to a, a fully awakened uh, life? One of the strong features in our culture, secular culture, uh, and sometimes and rather appropriately called consumer culture, two things are highlighted in it, and neither rub very well with the Dharma. Sometimes people don't like to hear uh, a little bit more of the uh, hardcore truths of the Dharma, but anyway, you can hear them. So one, two things are prioritized in consumer culture. Two, th maybe three things. 
One is ownership. Ownership. The self, the I, the me arises. It has with it the view towards ownership, towards possession, and it moves into the world, so to speak. It looks around in this world and it highlights things which I would like to have. So it can easily start off, obviously, from a place of doubt or insecurity or neediness or, or wanting. And the, mi- the state of mind arises in that movement towards securing and having. And as a result of that having, one feels that one has got something, this is mine, and somehow one feels um, uh, better, uh, <coughs> extraordinarily, temporarily. So in the fading of that which one has, whatever it, it might be, the same mind has to remobilize itself and the machinations of the inner life start up again and there's once again another movement and to have it, have it, have it more. It's such a compelling um, aspect of, of uh, human life that the, pos- the desire to own, to possess and to have goes alongside the incredible fatuation which we have with pleasure. The two are interrelated, interlinked together, pleasure and ownership. And some take a look at their life, you may have to take a good hard look at your life, and say, hand on the heart to ask oneself, because no one else would do it for you, hand, hand on the heart, is the driving force of my existence solely or primarily focusing on securing more pleasure through the senses, eye, ears, nose, tongue, touch, and through having more, increasing what one has already called ownership, called possession. Sometimes the third one that goes with that a little bit um, is, of course, uh, knowledge, which is often seen as the key, apart from working oneself to death, but is seen as the key to owning and having more. And of course the culture, Western culture, and, um, and uh, cultures in areas uh, like this, I'm uh, well aware of the, um, uh, the dark shadow of that university up the road there, that the culture makes a huge fuss about this knowledge, pleasure, and uh, the securing of, of own, own ownership. And, and it can grip, it, one's life, one's daily life can be in the grip of it. I mean, there's something when one sees these little news clips on, the, on these people um, down in Wall Street uh, on the stock exchange. They're old, old people, it's pathetic. Still trying to make more and more and more. And then somebody was t- telling me about day trading, whatever, day trading sounds a nightmare. And more, more, more. It's endless. So the Buddha had a conversation with a prince. I think his name was Charles, but it's probably something else by then. (laughs) (laughs) But it could have been. And his name was Jawasadina, Siddha Middle-Length Discourses, one of these beautiful books that um, Zambala have uh, put out. I'm not on any commission. They're not my publishers. I'm just (laughs) get at it. And the Buddha said to him, uh, 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 straightforwardly, he said to him, "How can you?" This is the said. How can you, who is infatuated with ownership, infatuated with pleasure, infatuated with the fever of wanting more pleasures, completely caught up in it? 
how can you know that which is not of that? How can you know that which is not of that? Sometimes in the movement, and uh, that's why I say sometimes people hear, hear this and they say, oh my God, I've got to renounce uh, uh, all, all pleasures. I can't go down to the um, uh, uh, SNS and, and <coughs> as I didn't have one's um, garden omelet or, or wha whatever it is. One is praying while one is in there, incidentally, that it's not coming from the garden of a certain Mr. Shapiro. He's the head of Monsanto. Anyway, it's another story. It was doing Vipassana practice, so it's hard to reconcile. So anyway, so there's this movement that goes on, the inner towards the outer. And in that inner to, uh, towards the outer, we say, I need to look at this. Then sometimes, you and I stop and we take a look at our life and the way that our life is moving and then we ask ourselves, hopefully seriously, and, and a rather simple question, how much time as a human being have I actually given to education? Going back to school. This, 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 this mantra haunts, especially around here. It's, it's, it's even in this chilly April day, you can feel it as you walk around, back to school, back to school, whatever. And it gets absorbed into the, into, the, into the psyche. How much time, I'm asking, have people spent in school? From the time our beloved parents put us in when we were rather young, and then, and they never asked us where we wanted to go, they just said, you go to school. And, and then one goes on, some of us, I, I, I may say in this regard, fled at uh, the age of uh, 15 and, um, and uh, never went back. I, I'm a great believer in George Bernard Shaw's comment, the only time um, I ever learned anything was when I didn't go to school. Mm. And so sometimes there's a tremendous amount of knowledge and I can, yes, it can be enormously beneficial. Yes, of course, I can't knock it down altogether, if I, even if I try. But is one giving the same amount of time to a fully awakened life? That's another whole league we're talking. Is the, is the commitment, does it share even 5% as a parallel to the amount of time that one has given to school, to listening to classes, to going to school, to reading books, to um, the, the financial uh, commitments, to the work, the study, the reflection, the courses, and all of that. Oh, look at the amount of time, just in one area of one's existence. And yet, the outcome, yes, it can be, not always, because sometimes universities, can, universities, frankly, can be ego-making factories, but sometimes out of it can come genuinely important and valuable things for oneself, yes, of course, and important and valuable things for other people, uh, yes, yes, of course. And therefore, something you know, important actually comes out of it. But whatever comes out of it, this, this compares with the Dharma for a moment. Whatever comes out of it is, quote the Buddha here, limited, finite, and he uses an odd word, perishable. Limited, finite, and perishable. So we can put a great deal of care and attention into those areas. It can be limited, but kind of fulfilling a little bit, really, that is. 
sympathetic towards a certain role. It can give us a certain position in, in uh, uh, life and a certain authority, and many of you have that, and uh, it's good that you have it, of course. And we can, as it were, quote-unquote, do, do good things. But the whole movement of the role, the activity and the result, all is limited by time. May, may, what we may do may be for the present, it may be to give support to others, etc., etc. Dharma teachings for a fully awakened life points to, not to the measurable, but to the immeasurable. Not to the perishable, but to the imperishable. Not to the finite, but to the infinite. Not to the restricted, but to liberation. Could we make a shift in our life in which while acknowledging the relative benefits which may come from ownership, from pleasure, from um, knowledge, from career, uh, etc., make such a shift in our life that we actually say to ourselves as a daily commitment, yes, I acknowledge the usefulnesses of that, it helps me a little bit to function in society, I got a place in the, in the society, but really my deep pro and sustained and true commitment is to realizing that which is without measure, which is immeasurable, which is enlightening and uh, genuinely uh, liberating. We may say, I don't know if that's the case. Maybe life is just the measurable. Maybe life is just securing things and then my mind is measurable because of the way that it is, my body's measurable, I go through birth, ageing, pain and death, um, my accomplishments are measurable by myself, by other people, etc. Maybe this whole world is measurable, and that's all that there is. And one might draw that conclusion. But at least one could say, at least one knows everything that one achieves in the everyday conventional world is measurable. I think one could say that some respect or other. But what would it be to uh, actually say, I don't know, but how will I find out? At least with the known, I know it's going to go. And if it doesn't go first, I go first. But that which is unknown and beyond the normal sense of self and desire, self and personal needs, I may have to start just on faith. I may just have to start that uh, uh, the Buddha the uh, enlightened ones, the saints and the sages and the realizationed ones of past, present and future and the, the way of being in this world that the faith may be, perhaps they know what they're talking about. Perhaps it's not uh, an, an, a nice loopy idea um, um, dug out of some cave two and a half thousand years ago or under some tree, but maybe What's been pointed out by the, the sages and by all those in the wisdom uh, tradition of, uh, of practice actually know what it means for that realization. The word Maya, many of you will know, M-A-Y-A, the English uh, scholars who went, who, you know, as you know, the uh, English with a petty little colonial mind from the past, which I had nothing to do with. Um, 
and it's just and who has any choice about the place where they end up being born you know, etc um, went and translated the text the Sanskrit uh, pa Pali text in some respect did a very good uh, 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 service and it did give the initial e exposure one of the words which was translated was the word Maya and it was translated initially as an illusion so a rather odd picture was actually developed which uh, uh, people in, in uh, Western culture which gives so much substance to all of this said well my goodness what a you know, strange breed of spirituality everything is Maya everything is an, an illusion actually it was a misunderstanding through mistranslation the word Maya root and deep form means to measure to measure and human beings easily we can find ourselves trapped in measuring we measure this with that ourselves with others this day with that day this and that up and down high and low good and, and bad right and uh, wrong love and hate etc etc all caught in this measuring measuring what I have measuring what I have with what I don't have what I would like to have it's we live in this and there's almost a human conspiracy human uh, interaction that goes on which says the real living in the real world is living with a mind riddled with desire living trapped in time because the two are inseparable past present and future from each other living measuring one thing after the other day in and day out and being completely infatuated with it and thinking that's living in the real world and it's a myth it's Maya would we dare have the spirit with us and the courage with us and the determination with us to say in all of that let me stop and let me take a real look about that world in which the self finds itself lovely thing to do wonderful service to oneself just to look at that and say is that it is that the true reality of things at the present time I'm uh, um, teaching out at uh, Barry at uh, the uh, insight meditation uh, uh, center there a number of you who are here this evening will be familiar uh, with the center and it's one of the great uh, resources that we have uh, in the West for Dharma uh, teachings and it's a tremendous credit there to the staff to uh, Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg and uh, other uh, teachers board members that such a serious and dedicated uh, center is, is, is made available for, for people and sometimes in listening to uh, Dharma teachings as uh, you are uh, uh, doing uh, this, this evening we recognize in, in, in ourselves that sometimes not to become Buddhist I, I, I've never been a Buddhist in my entire life I'm no, no, just a servant of the Dharma I've no interest in these, these, these labels got enough already like most of us but I think focusing with the Dharma that really is a great support and so some people and a number of you will know as well just how important and long tradition of this of making and creating some time to step outside of the known and the familiar 
and therefore these resources of CIMC here and other places and, fa and facilities like uh, at IMS, that if you've ever had the thought about going and you haven't gone, people say to me, I'm not sure if I could hack all that silence or, 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 or whatever. It seems rather a serious place or, 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 or whatever. Yes, yes, there's all, there's, there's all of that. And I know some people there, they look like death warmed up. It's <laughs> walking. <laughs> You know, etc. There, but you know, trying to have a little compassion there, and but some people get concerned about making the step, and just make the step, and just go, go for a week. There, your, your partners will be so grateful, and <laughs> just, just have, and, and and the children will be in Hallelujah chorus the whole week. <laughs> So sometimes one needs to make the break, needs to make, make, make the space. So one says, I need to have a good look at where I am in my life. I need to have a good look at myself to see, am I really caught up in these things? I was just in the bush in Australia and uh, teaching a, a retreat there in, in northern uh, New South Wales. And of all people that came was my mother. <laughs> and she'd just done weekends uh, uh, before and she decide, decided, she, she's 80 years of age, she's going to go on a retreat with her son. So uh, she's um, uh, uh, a Catholic. She makes the Pope look like a positive liberal. So, <laughs> <you> can, uh, <laughs> so she came on the, um, um, she, she came on the, on the retreat, and, and in that, uh, the re retreat place, it's in the, uh, uh, in the bush, it's 20 kilometers, uh, 14 miles to this way. Um, a longer uh, a track, so you know, it's, out, it's out there in the sticks, no electricity, etc. Hundred and something of us uh, there with uh, Subana, uh, co-teaching uh, uh, with myself, and in that area, right outside the hall, of, you know, there were scorpions and brown snakes around and black snakes, etc. And it was a good two hundred meters down the track from where my mother was staying up to the meditation uh, hall. So we had to qu actually quite regularly just put out. Look, there's lots of um, uh, uh, sentient life uh, around and of course we're all into saving all sentient beings and uh, uh, etc. My mother when she heard all this, which she didn't, I didn't mention until we got there, of course <laughs> I tell you she, she was one of the most mindful meditators I've ever seen in the walking meditation <laughs> <laughs> she didn't put a foot down for eight days without knowing where it was going the whole retreat was totally inspired by this old lady slowly, slowly, slowly doing her walking me meditation. Middly, it took 45 minutes to get from the meditation hall to her room, and then she had to get back. But anyway, so if an old lady of 80 years of age well, can do it, those of us who are a little bit uh, uh, younger in uh, years, though rapidly catching up, um, don't leave it. How easy we can po postpone and put things off. And sometimes people have said, have gone into the dharma and, and just engaged in a retreat. You know, Crystal, that was the best thing I ever did. Best thing I ever did. To just to have that silence and stillness, receive the teachings, and it's the combination of teachings and practices. Put the two together. It will awaken the life. There's great power and passion and love with the, uh, with the teachings. Make, bring that in with the practices, 
the sitting, the walking, the mindfulness, the awareness into existence, the looking at the things, put those two together and the life must awaken. Has to awaken. Just coming here, just uh, uh, in, uh, 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 incidentally, last time I was here at CIMC, um, because of the large building work that was going on, we were down in, in the church, just a little down, way down the road there, and, uh, and the people uh, sitting in pews, and uh, 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 credit the interreligious support where a church can say to uh, uh, its neighbours out of another tradition, please come and use, uh, use our place. It was just a lovely thing to uh, come in here and the uh, support, I mean the huge dana, the donation to, 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 to do all of this. And it's a further kind of reflection and statement, I feel, of not only people's love of the dharma, but also the willingness, all of those who put a lot of time and energy into it, in saying, I really want to make a c commitment to the, to the waking of awakening of people's lives. And every dana, every aspect of area of support, and people are making it possible for others to do it through many expressions of deep, deep abiding kindness. And, and so we not only have a responsibility <coughs> to ourselves with regard to that, but we also have a responsibility to those who make these facilities possible, of which you and I and others are the real beneficiaries of. This is what it means to be in the Sangha, means to be in the community of men and women and children who have a commitment to a really awakened life. It was rather, rather lovely. I saw, saw all the new layout, I may say, downstairs, and then uh, uh, one of the CIMC staff um, uh, said, you know, um, uh, uh, where's the toilet? And uh, went to the toilet. And there was no door on the <laughs> toilet. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, we're all Buddhists, we're all... <laughs> um, w we're into openness. <laughs> and then the thought occurred to me, well, next week I'm in uh, New York and I'm, I'm teaching at the Open Centre. <laughs> so I thought I might recommend to Adele, who's the organiser there, to, in the spirit of openness, inspired by CMC, to <laughs> take off their toilet doors. <laughs> a whole new meaning of watching sensations, <laughs> mm, etc. <laughs> so sometimes we come into uh, 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 situations and we see, as I say, the love and the commitment and the support uh, that's uh, uh, taking place and the uh, uh, forest uh, meditation facility that's being developed at CIMC, you know, it's about three or four million dollars or more. And people say these things are important to generate opportunity and environments for people to make a real contribution to really having a really awakened life and the great benefit it can bring for oneself and for, for others. Just in a bit, three or four minutes now, in some of the features uh, uh, of that, just not a, not, not a warning but a little bit of caution with regard to that, in the community, in the network of dedicated practitioners, of course practice is uh, emphasized, and for, for some it's the regularity of um, uh, meditation. Also the community uh, and the network of people have uh, recognized how important matters of the heart are, and therefore the meta practices, deep friendship, deep loving uh, kindness, the importance of uh, mindfulness in, uh, in daily life, the awareness of change, 
and all the changes that go on in our existence are a real reminder about not clinging to anything or anyone anywhere because of the dynamic of existence and that's that dynamic which ought to keep shaking us and waking us up about what happens if we cling to uh, anything and sometimes people, Dharma students and sincere and dedicated Dharma students then begin to in a way slow up if I may say the opportunity for a really fully awakened life by a restricted sense of what the potential actually is what I mean by that is it would be a pity to say oh, Dharma practice is about being mindful during the day sitting perhaps daily calling in at the centre uh, once a week uh, seeing impermanence and developing some loving kindness if we just reduced it down to, uh, to, to that, I don't know if it would be truly fulfilling and nourishing uh, uh, of itself, but in a way, is it really paying respect to the commitment that is required in which every feature of the Eightfold Path is attended to equally? Every feature of the Eightfold Path is attended equally and as the, 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 Buddhist, the Buddha said in one of his more modest moments there are many many paths but the best of all the paths is the Eightfold Path he said it with some humility I'm sure but anyway <laughs> but we weren't there but anyway there to some degree to some degree <coughs> more than some degree he's absolutely right he's right and the reason that he's that I, I would say as a, a servant of the Dharma he's right because what it is really saying to each and every one of us never leave any stone unturned every single area of your life and my existence is really worth working with really worth looking into therefore what is what is it important in life that really is important to really understand Sometimes we have to ask ourselves that really. What is, what is uh, wise or clear intention, the second link in the Eightfold Path? What does it mean that every word that comes out of our mouth has hopefully is as clear and as appropriate and as skillful as possible? What is right livelihood as distinguished from just pursuing a career for the satisfaction of self? What is right action in life? What, what, what's my relationship to mindfulness? What's the samadhi? What's the depth of meditation like in my existence? And if you and I say, my goodness me, every feature of that path really matters because my life is concerned with it in some way or other, whether I realise it or not, in every day of my existence, then we'll bring that path really alive. And if we really do that together and individually, it will really awaken the life. It has to and every aspect then of our day-to-day -day life really can fit in harmoniously with it. Can we wake up in the morning and say, what, how, is the, how um, am I making the Dharma fit into my life, which is the wrong way round of looking at things, but is my life fitting into that Dharma and the challenge of that? And therefore one attends to all of those factors there, really looks at them and takes risks with one's life. Sometimes risks, you know, not dramatic risks, risk could be going on a retreat, one hasn't done it before. Risk, I say, 
plenty of people, most parts of the world, um, think about coming to Mother India. And when people say, oh, no, no, people get sick there. Well, they don't get sick in the United States, <laughs> yeah, etc. And, and, and people say, hey, some people say, hey, Christopher, nobody's ever said that to me before. Nobody's ever asked me that. Nobody's ever encouraged me uh, to do that. So sometimes we can, may not be possible for everybody at the particular time, can take steps which are a challenge to us, which really help to what? Open out the life. And if we give interest and care and willingness to take that, then awakened life is close at hand. And that's the best. May all beings see into life. May all beings live an adventurous life. May all beings live a free and awakened existence. Let's just have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.